Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Professor Tanya Catari Hernandez. She is the Archibald R. Murray Professor of Law at Fordham University School of Law, where she is an Associate Director of the Center on Law, on Race, Law, and Justice. She is a Fulbright Scholar who holds an AB from Brown University and a JD from Yale University. Her fellowships include being a Law and Public Policy Affairs Fellow at Princeton University and a Scholar in Residence at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. Professor Hernandez is a fellow of the American Bar Foundation and the American Law Institute. Her books include Racial Subordination in Latin America, The Role of the State, Customary Law, and the New Civil Rights Response, with Spanish and Portuguese editions, Grill Research Perspectives in Comparative Law, Racial Discrimination, Multiracials and Civil Rights, Mixed Race Stories of Discrimination, and her most recent book from Beacon Press, Racial Innocence, Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias and the Struggle for Equality. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So we're gonna jump right in. So you grew up in New York City in Hell's Kitchen and your family's from Puerto Rico, from Toalta. Um, how did your early life shape your professional interests in Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx communities? Well, you know, growing up in New York City, I was sort of lucky that there was a, uh, you know, sizable Puerto Rican community and people from other parts of the Caribbean and Latin America all within my neighborhood. And that was lovely. But part of what that meant, sort of having a little Puerto Rico inside of New York City, Mm -hmm. uh, is that I was exposed to all of not only the cultural aspects, but the racial attitudes that are part of our culture. So what I mean by that is I grew up hearing uh, sort of the schizophrenia with regards to uh, race issues. You know, in, on one side, we thought of ourselves as superior uh, to people in the United States, uh, Americanos, <laughs> North Americans, you know, conceived of primarily as white. Um, and we you know, didn't have their racial problems because we didn't see the world in white and black and you know, racism was a problem of the United States. So I'd hear that sort of, you know, out of one side of the mouth of, of a speaker. And it, within the next sentence, there would be all this anti-Black uh, sentiment being expressed uh, regarding Afro-Latinos and African-Americans and Africans, you know, anyone of African ancestry uh, as Blackness as being negative. And so, you know, it seemed to me a very odd you know, dichotomy to you know, be thinking of ourselves as racially um, superior and then at the same time embodying uh, blatant anti-Black attitudes uh, that, you know, as when I was growing up, were becoming viewed as problematic with regards to English speakers. And so to hear it in Spanish, just sort of all very blatant, uh, was quite uh, striking to me. And so that was always something I noticed growing up, right? You know, that dichotomy. Um, and then as a professional, uh, what disturbed me was that as a legal scholar focusing on issues of civil rights and 
discrimination and equality, I was starting to see how Latinos who would be brought into court and accused of being racially biased uh, and being complicit in forms of racial exclusion based on someone's Black ancestry, that these Latinos would uh, sometimes raise the issue of being Latino as a defense mm. <laughs> to accusations of racism. Uh, and then I started to see that there were juries and even some judges who thought of that as palatable, you know, that, that Latinos could have a off-ramp uh, from being held accountable for partaking in, issue, in you know, dynamics of racial exclusion, um, all circling back to the, the Latino, what I like to call Latino racial innocence, you know, this idea of, oh, no, not us, we couldn't possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I saw my personal history becoming relevant within my professional research uh, context. And that is what should have really became a mission on my part uh, to have my work as a scholar have an activist component with regards to trying to both illuminate this problematic dynamic um, and also try to find a path forward to thinking, how do we work our way through this? Well, and we're, I mean, again, it's interesting. I've talked to a lot of people and that's that those early under, personal understandings really do resonate in the way that they, uh, the way that they shape, are shaped into their professional work. Uh, I know that you're really excited about the way that your uh, work on Afro-Latinidad has resonated with a larger public um, that that you see that as, and you get to see how passionate they are about this topic. Um, I wonder if you could say a bit more about how you were drawn to the legal arena in particular um, and the evolution of your work in that field. Well, you know, I always wanted to do something that would be helpful in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, what drew me to law it was sort of an indirect path because I didn't know any lawyers. I'm first generation to college, let alone to law school. And so I didn't have a model of what it meant to be a lawyer within my networks, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, but I knew I wanted to be of service in some way. Uh, and it was my educators, you know, people both in high school and in college that encouraged me to pursue law. Um, one in part because I cared about social issues and I was very much um, someone who was animated with the life of the mind, reading and writing. Uh, and so they were the ones, my educators, who said, look, we think you've got something here and we think you should pursue it as a lawyer. And so I went sort of in blind faith based on what they told me um, that this would be a good path for me. And I never looked back. It was you know, transformative and a, a place that I really love being. Now, if I can just sort of reflect back for a second on what you just mentioned, you know, this idea about how much the work has resonated. You know, I'm a lawyer. I'm a legal scholar. And you know, this is not um, something that in a bookstore uh, reading, you find many people <laughs> who are lawyers being uh I'm not James Patterson. I didn't, I'm not <laughs> Nicholas Spark or anything like that. Um, however, what I have found is that um, there is a population that is hungry, hungry to see in-depth 
assessments, analysis, and conversation about the Afro-Latino experience. And when my book came out just last year in the hardcover and then, you know, come out later in August again in paperback, um, what I found fascinating is that, you know, I expected some resistance. You know, essentially uh, the book is about all the ways in which Latinos are complicit in anti-Blackness in the workplace, in schools, in uh, denying access to uh, public spaces of leisure, uh, hotels, you know, public accommodations, uh, and as well as Latinos being part of law enforcement and enforcing, you know, rules of white supremacy and, and um, black exclusion. But that in all those spheres, Latinos are part and parcel um, of what the systems of racism are within the United States. Um, and while the book certainly is designed to be accessible, you know, it's uh, very much uh, in the vein of critical race theory narrative form, meaning that I'm talking about law, but I'm doing it by talking about people's stories. And so I'm trying to lift up, you know, the Afro-Latino uh, and other subjects of, uh, Af of African descent are within the book. So I expected pushback. You know, I've expected uh, Latinos who either don't racially identify or identify as white um, or mestizo in some way to say to me, no, 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 you're mistaken. This isn't a problem. Or if it's a problem, it's a minor problem. It's not like the real problem of uh, white Anglo-English speaking uh, discrimination against Latinos proper. So I expected that, and, I, and I've seen some of that. <laughs> what I had not expected was the way in which at public uh, book events that there would be people who were not only excited about the book, but had already purchased a copy of the book, had read the book, and had it outlined and, you know, dog-eared, and, you know, they were bringing in well-loved copies <laughs> of their books uh, nice. to talk to me uh, and have me sign. But also, let me give you an example. You know, as a scholar, I'm used to a question and answer session. I you know what people ask me about why I think the way I do. Why did I say what I said? That sort of thing. Question and answer sessions uh, for this book uh, have been so different because they're more like, how should I call people testifying in church right, or a, a place of religious worship where they're essentially not quizzing me, but instead supporting the ideas in the book with reflections on how it actually speaks to something directly within their own life experience and, and things that they're encountering right now. Uh, and so the outpouring of love and also of um, sort of relief, you know, some people are very emotional when they come to the book events. Um, they are sort of breathing a sigh of, wow, Finally, someone has articulated what I've long been experienced, but I didn't necessarily have a language or a grammar uh, to express it because in the United States, when we talk about discrimination, it's always this idea of this is something that white English speaking Anglos do to people of color generally and not what people of color, let alone Latinos, are complicit in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I can, I can, and I can imagine um, what that looks like having, having been at a book signing as well. Um, how, how, because these are, I mean, and from what I've been hearing, uh, what I see, there's not enough conversation. There's not enough information. Um, and so people are 
active and interested. And so I can totally see them wanting to share their story because it, there are so few spaces for those stories to be shared. Well, um, and the I, other thing, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, no, the no. Thing right. I, I, the other thing I just wanted to add on to that is that, you know, what is, um, I think, really quite relevant is that while there's some conversation, you know, certainly after 2020 and Latinos being part of Black Lives Matter movements that, that provided a little more space, right, you know, for Afro-Latinos to, to discuss and express uh, the ways in which they are racially distinguishable um, and differentiated from other Latinos, that those conversations are often very limited in as much as it's Afro-Latinos talking about the I, 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 I mean, in my personal experience, I feel, I feel, which is important, right? But it gets sidelined because it's um, dismissed as, well, that's your individual take on things. Uh, and what I think so many readers are responding to as far as the, the racial innocence book is concerned is that for the first time, the book takes a huge, um, large landscape picture of, of all those eyes, right? Meaning, so you're no longer having to go into a room with just your personal experience and your personal feelings. What the book provides is a way of seeing systems and patterns right, of how Latinos are part of an anti-Black sentiment and exclusion. And so you're no longer, in some respects, alone in the conversation. You've got documented um, sort of emp empirics uh, to help you navigate the anti-Blackness uh, and the denial of it uh, that these conversations often sort of bring out. Yeah, and I think along those lines, as, as your work as a scholar and educator, how, how would you say your work contributes to our understanding of these communities, Afro-Latinx, Afro-Latin-American? Well, the I mean, systems I, and patterns mm -hmm. that you I mean, out. I, I guess the, the main thing I would say is that the way the, the book provides a contribution is that we often think of Latinidad as, as being about culture, our language, our uh, food, our music, our dance. And left off the table is the way in which culture also includes racial attitudes mm -hmm. uh, and racial attitudes that are not really benign and are not merely about aesthetics, you know, who we find pretty, who do we want to date, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they also are very much about the how hierarchy and social order uh, is regulated uh, in, in ways that affect people's lives, how much money you are able to bring into your household, where you're able to live, uh, how much you are able to keep yourself safe um, and amidst, you know, higher vulnerability uh, to law enforcement violence against you because of your appearance in a Black body. I mean, all of these things um, are part of what Latino culture right, um, is implicated in, um, but often is not viewed as much. And so, you know, for instance, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month every <laughs> September 15th to October 15th really has this conversation, right? Um, and so... That's one way in which I see the book having um, a contribution that is distinctive, um, although certainly part of a larger literature and burgeoning literature that I'm very excited to be seeing uh, so many uh, scholars being part of. No, definitely. And, and I also want to ask, thinking about all those features of Latinidad, 
Um, what do you think, and the way that race fits into that, what do you think are some of the most urgent issues then facing um, Afro-Latinx communities, especially as they relate to your work? I think one of the most urgent issues is our need to be vigilant and active in resisting how uh, the pan-ethnic uh, <laughs> umbrella of Latino, Latinx, uh, uh, is seeking to make uh, Afro-Latino invisible. Uh, and not in a, and here's why we have to be so vigilant, because often the push to uh, silence Afro-Latino subjects uh, is coming from a place of, we care, but we have to give primacy right, to the more racially uh, unidentifiable picture of Latinidad, you know, meaning of a colorblind vision of Latino, uh, because we are under siege. Uh, we are being victimized through immigration law. Uh, and, you know, that's all true, right? But at the same time, it means that all the ways in which Afro-Latinos are particularly vulnerable to violence, uh, to exclusion, uh, to being paid less, uh, that these things are sort of taking a backseat in ways that harm us even more. And so Afro-Latinos have to be very vigilant about the way in which our Latino leaders uh, are trying to make sure that they are not held accountable right, uh, for a more intersectional, you know, it's not just about ethnicity of Latinidad, it's also about race within a Latini, Latinidad. Uh, and so, you know, one quick example is the current uh, debate that's happening with regards to the census. You know, right now, the, the census asks two questions, you know, one, are you of Hispanic origin as an ethnicity? And then two, within your uh, Hispanic ethnicity, what is your sort of primary racial affiliation? And you get to choose as many as you like, white, black, Asian, indigenous, et cetera. Uh, and uh, mainstream Latino organizations have been uh, supportive of a government uh, proposal to collapse those questions into one single question. So now what's being proposed like for the 2030 census would be, what race or ethnicity, whatever you want to call it, are, do you identify with? White, Black, Latino, Asian, Indigenous, etc. And so this would put Latino as something uh, separate apart from Blackness in ways you know that I don't think it takes a rocket science to see that it re it's read as Black is not Latino. Black is African-American. And so don't check this, only check Latino. Why do we care? We should care because as Afro-Latinos, the census data is what helps measure exclusion and inclusion. So with the current way, with the two question uh, setup, we're able to see both how Latinos get access to mortgages, but also how within Latino communities, Black Latinos don't get the same access as white Latinos, despite having similar socioeconomic status profile. When that happens, that's a, an invitation for the Department of Justice to make a discrimination inquiry. Right? The data matters 
for both being able to uh, document where racial exclusion is happening and also give government officials and civil rights organizations uh, quantitative data with which to do investigations into intentional discrimination or just patterns and practices of systemic exclusion. So, you know, it it sounds very nerdy, but at the same time, it is a crucial uh, matter that could statistically make Afro-Latinos invisible uh, and the way in which we are uh, situated differently uh, in ways that hurt us within a racial hierarchy. We're not all Latinos. You know, some people may think, oh, well, Latino, isn't that kind of like a shade of brown? Whereas, you know, founder of Afro-Latino studies, the late Miriam Jimenez Roman would always say, some browns are browner than other browns. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the, this, uh, you know, yeah. brown hides a world of sins. Uh, and so the uh, thing that I would say Afro-Latinos have to be most concerned with right now, right, is this issue of statistical invisibility, um, because that would uh, hinder uh, our ability to be able to keep track of how we are not being treated the same as other Latinos. No, I think these are, you've raised really important points about the measurement, about measuring visibility and invisibility. And again, these stories, these, these personal stories translate into these measurements, these our ability to measure and to not measure. And if you, if, if you're not looking to, and I, and I get this a lot in my work where, where grants and things, they want you, they want to know how you're measuring the, the results. And so to see, so so when the census piece came up, because I've been following that as well, I, I, I was like, what? Why, why, this is not good. We're going to miss a whole swath of people if we don't allow for these, for a, a deeper understanding, a deeper racial understanding of Latinidad that really allows folks who are of African descent to indicate the, the multiple spaces in which they, in which they occupy, the intersectionality that you mentioned. So I'm, I'm excited about the possibilities, although also frustrated about the possibilities about what's going to emerge from the census. But um, like you, I think these are these. It's really crucial to to have these kinds of measurements to get a sense, to get a snapshot of what's what's going on right now in the 21st century. Most definitely. I mean, you know, I'll give you one uh, brief example. There are parts of the country in which. Afro-Latinos actually have higher rates of uh, formal education as opposed to uh, non-racially identified or white-identified Latinos. But despite having higher education rates in some of these geographic spaces, uh, these same Afro-Latinos have lower returns on their investment. Now, that's a fancy economics way to say that even though they have higher rates of formal education, they don't get paid the same meaning they don't get the benefit of the college degree, the doctoral degree, uh, as other Latinos, um, because, and he leaves open the question, is it race? Well, it certainly doesn't take, I think, that much of a, um, you know, powerhouse uh, mode of analysis to say, hmm, what's different here? And what's mm-hmm. the same, right? Um, and so the, in the absence of any other concrete explanation, we are left with, it looks like their racial appearance is doing some work here as far as subordination is concerned. 
Well, I mean, I, I could talk to you all day, um, but I want to, I'm wrapping up to my kind of final questions. Uh, and I want to ask, in addition to your publications um, and articles, what other kinds of resources would you recommend to people who want to learn more about Afro-Latinx, Afro-Latin American communities more broadly? I would recommend that they go to uh, the Afro-Latino Forum website. Uh, because in the Afro-Latino Forum, the organization that Miriam Jimenez Roman, uh, the mother <laughs> of mm -hmm. Afro-Latino studies, uh, founded, uh, there are lots of resources, uh, materials to read, videos, et cetera, uh, to give people a deeper sense of you know what some of the politics of this are. I mean, no, because I'll just say this last thing. You know, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that you know there's more space now to talk about Afro-Latino culture, you know, so that we are sort of uh, getting a little more space to be able to uh, lay claim uh, to the ways in which our contributions to Latinidades are marked and significant. Uh, but this is something that we need to think about beyond um, just the uh, arts, right? Um, Afro-Latino, uh, the experience also matters within, with regards to politics. Uh, and so the Afro-Latino Forum uh, does both. And so that's, I think, a good website to check out, uh, along with the more narrowly focused um, a coalition of organizations that are all gathered within uh, the website latinoisnotarace.info. <laughs> uh, there you'll find lots of materials about sort of helping to explain the, the significance of this you know, census uh, battle uh, and also how one might be part of the uh, activism uh, with regards to trying to make sure we, we are not statistically erased. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your passion, your, your, uh, your journey, uh, and for all the fantastic scholarship uh, and for your activism in the field. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. It was a delight to talk with you. And I just want to say to the listeners, watch out for August 3rd, 2023. That's when the paperback release of uh, Racial Innocence, I'm Asking Latino Anti-Black Bias comes out. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues on Afro-Latinidad, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereedvasquez.com forward slash podcast.